Amen. Well, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to continue this Lord's Day by walking through the book of Hebrews together. We find ourselves now in the latter part of Hebrews 11 where we've been learning about what faith is. Now that definition that we find in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has been walking through examples uh, from God's Word of what biblical faith looks like. And as we've been walking through those, we've been reminded that we as followers of Jesus are not called to a blind faith. We are called to a biblical faith and we're reminded of what biblical faith looks like. We've seen it in the lives of Abel and Enoch, of Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. Now we call this the, the hall of faith. We look to these men and women as heroes of faith, and yet they're not the only ones that we read about in Hebrews 11. We also read about rather ordinary people, nameless people, groups of people, and that's what we find in our text today as we're reminded of the faith of the Hebrew people as a whole as they were leaving Egypt on their way to the Promised Land and they crossed through the Red Sea. Uh, we're reminded of the faith of the Hebrew people a generation later as they were entering into the Promised Land, that conquest of Jericho where they marched around the city under God's instruction and how the walls fell down. And we're reminded of the faith of one who had a rather unfaithful past, a scandalous past, a non-Hebrew named Rahab. And yet we see in her a trust, an obedience, a faithfulness that is commended not only in Hebrews 11, but even in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look here to Hebrews 11 Verses 29 through 31. This is what God's Word says. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father God, we do pray that You would bless this Word, that You would help us to live according to it, and especially in a day, an age, a time, Lord, where we are uncertain, where we are unfamiliar, when we are unsure of what our tomorrows hold. Help us to have faith in you, the God who holds our tomorrows. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we see here is a reminder to us of what it means to leave a legacy of faith. And that's a legacy we see not just in the pages of Scripture. That's a legacy we see as we study the history of the church and the history of God's people. One such history was put together in 1900 by a pastor and an educator named A.E. Winship. He wrote a book entitled Jukes-Edwards, A Study in Education and Heredity. Now, this book was a study of the descendants of two families, one family that modeled biblical faithfulness, the family of a pastor named Jonathan Edwards. And the other family was a family that modeled 
unfaithfulness and unrighteousness, a, a family that was filled with sin and wickedness. That was the family of a man named Max Jukes. Now the reason that Winship looked at these two families is because Edwards and Jukes lived about the same time. They were born in the same era. They lived in the 1700s and he was able then to go back and to look at their descendants and what kind of legacy these two men left. As he looked at the family of Max Jukes, a career criminal, he found this out of the 1,200 descendants that he was able to locate, he found that seven were murderers, 60 were thieves, 50 were harlots, 130 were other types of convict and criminal, 310 made their living begging for money, and 400 were physically wrecked by indulgent living at a young age. Many others, he found, died as infants from poor nourishment, and poor conditions. Winship estimated in his day in 1900 that Max Jukes' descendants cost the state more than $1.25 million. They were a family of degenerates. He then compared that to Jonathan Edwards, a great Puritan preacher from the 1700s, one born about the same time as Max Jukes, and yet his life and his legacy would be so different. Jonathan Edwards and his wife Sarah had 11 children. 150 years later, their descendants included one U.S. vice president, three United States senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. As Winship considered these, these two families and the legacies they left, he said this, whatever the Jukes stand for, the Edwards family does not. Whatever weakness the Jukes represent finds its antidote in the Edwards family. Now the question for us as we look back on this historical narrative is this, what separates these two families? What made the difference in these two families? And it very clearly comes down to faithfulness. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher, a man who knew what it was to walk by faith. In fact, we know Edwards for the many resolutions that he made in his lifetime, the first one of which was this, resolution one, I will live for God. Followed by resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. And we see he did that very thing. And not only did he do that, he modeled that for his children and his children's children. He modeled what the scripture calls us to in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. He modeled what it is we're called to in Hebrews 11, verse 1, that familiar definition that we've already read and we'll read again. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So the question for us today, now in 2020, is this. How do we have this type of walk of faith? How do we live a life that models the faith that we see in Hebrews 11? How do we place our full and whole trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and walk according to his ways? Well, it begins by being delivered from our sins, by being rescued from our life of unfaithfulness. 
It continues then by trusting in God and in his word. And ultimately, it culminates in living in obedience to that word. And we see those three things, that turning from sin, that trusting in God, and that living in obedience to God. We see that modeled in the passage we have before us today as we consider the Hebrews crossing through the Red Sea, the Hebrews entering into Jericho as the walls fall down, and this non-Hebrew Rahab, this harlot who hears of the great wonders of what God has done among his people and places her trust, her faith, her hope, and lives in obedience to God and his commands. And so as we look to them, my prayer is that we would better understand what it means for us today to be delivered from our sins, to turn from them, to trust in God, and to live in obedience. That we would truly understand what it is that we read of in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, where we read that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How does this take place? Well, we're going to look at three ways that we find in our text today, beginning with the first one there as we read verse 29 again. God delivers people who turn from their sin. He delivers people who turn from their sin. Again, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. We see the Hebrew people turning from their sin as they cross through the dry land that the waters separated of the Red Sea as they walk through on dry land on their journey out of Egypt towards the promised land. We see a picture of turning from sin. Now again, consider what we learn in Exodus 14. We revisited this a bit last Lord's Day. That picture we have in Exodus, that God's people were slaves, they were in bondage to Pharaoh, and they were slaves for generations. And then God sends a deliverer in Moses who then leads the people out of their bondage, out of their captivity, on their way to the promised land. He does this through bringing judgment against the Egyptians, bringing many plagues against the Egyptians. Ultimately, the people leave plundering the Egyptians, and they're celebrating, they're trusting in the Lord, they're on their way to the promised land, but then they come to a barrier, to an obstacle. They find themselves there in Exodus 14, camping by the Red Sea, and as they look back, they see those who had once enslaved them and kept them in bondage coming towards them. They're coming after them. And their response in that moment is not one of trusting in God, not one of believing in God. Their response in this situation is sinful. Again, Exodus 14, beginning in verse 11. These people, this is what they say to Moses. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us out to die in the wilderness? What are they saying there? They're basically saying, we don't believe that God is for us. We, do not, we, we believe that God is against us. We believe that these people who once enslaved us are going to come and murder us by the shore of the Red Sea. They're not trusting God. They're not believing God for deliverance. And then they continue, well, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now again, we know what, they've, what, God, what Moses has done. He, he's following God's instruction. He has brought them out of their slavery, out of their bondage. He's taking them to the land of promise. But notice their focus is not on that. They continue and say, is it, 
Is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Friends, we, we see here a, a picture among the Hebrew people of sin. And what is that sin? It is the sin of unbelief. They complain. They grumble. They whine. that They are not trusting God. They are not believing God. They are looking at their circumstances. And in light of their circumstances, they are in sin. They are unbelieving. But what happens? Well, God is faithful even when they are not. And God does the miraculous. God instructs Moses. And then through that instruction, He literally miraculously parts the waters of the Red Sea so that there is dry land. And then He calls the people to step out in faith and to walk through the waters of the Red Sea. But for them to do that, in order for this deliverance to take place, they have to turn from their sin of unbelief. And they have to place their trust in God. And that's exactly what we see happen here. They turn from that sin and they trust in God. And God delivers His people who turn from their sin. We see this in the life of the, in, of the Hebrew people here. We're reminded of this in our call in the book of Hebrews where we read in Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And notice how the writer of Hebrews addresses unbelief. He says it's evil. He says it leads us to fall away from God. It's a, it's a wicked thing not to believe not to trust, not to stand on the promises of God. That the people here in Exodus 14 could not be delivered if they persisted in their unbelief. They could not be delivered if they would not, if they refused to trust in God. But we see that they did not persist in their sin. They trusted in God. They turned from that sin and God delivered them. And we see that is true for them and it is true for us today. We too are called today to turn from our sin. This is what we refer to as repentance. This is what the Scripture calls us to when we're called to repent and to believe. To repent and have faith. Repentance is turning from our sin, the sin of unbelief, and whatever other sins might be in our life, and repentance is placing our trust in God. It's what we see, for example, in John's Gospel, where we have the account of the woman who's caught in adultery. You're familiar with that story. There's a woman that the scribes and the Pharisees bring before Jesus, and they say she's caught in adultery, and they're trying to trick Jesus here. They're, they're trying to get him to contradict himself. They're saying that the law calls us to stone her to death. What do you say we should do? And Jesus leads them through this process where each of these accusers walks away. And then he turns to this woman who was caught in sin, who had unfaithfulness, who had wickedness, who had sin in her life, he turns to her and he says this, Go and from now on, sin no more. He's not calling this woman now to a life of perfection. 
He's not saying to her, there should never be another sin in your life. No, he is saying, turn away from your lifestyle of sin. Turn away from this pattern of sin and place your trust in me and follow me. And friends, that's what we're called to do in response to the gospel as well. It's not enough just to believe the gospel. That belief should be modeled in our repentance and our turning from sin and our trusting in Jesus. And so the question for us from Hebrews 11 this morning, from God's Word this morning, very much is this. Are you turning from sin in your life today? When your sin is exposed, what do you do? Do you grow in defensiveness? Do you grow in making excuses? Or do you repent and turn from that sin? The Hebrews in Exodus 14 had a choice. They could just stand there on the shores of the Red Sea. They could wait for their former captives to arrive who would likely then drag them back to Egypt, back into bondage. They could go back to their life of slavery. Or they could trust in the one true God and walk in faith with Him. And friends, we have that same choice today. We have heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus The gospel that calls us to turn from our sin and to trust in Christ. And now we have a choice. We can persist in our sin, we can stay in our sin, or we can turn from our sin and we can place our trust in Jesus. And that's the call we have and that's the reminder we have as we continue in this passage because we see point two, that God delivers people who trust in Him. He delivers people who trust in Him. And now the writer of Hebrews skips ahead 40 years, an entire generation in the life of the Hebrew people. And he says this, By faith, verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now we read about this account in the book of Joshua. So what we see has happened here is that God has brought His people to the promised land of Canaan. Now, He had brought them there before. What we read is that as they went through the Red Sea and as God was leading them to the Promised Land, He brought them to the land of Canaan. They sent spies into the land. But when the spies came back, the people reacted in unbelief. They didn't trust in God. And as a result of that, there was a consequence. And they would not trust God to annihilate their enemies. They would not trust God to lead them into the Promised Land. And so God left an entire generation of people to die in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years. And during that time, there was a generation that passed away, and the generation that was to come was seeing modeled before them day after day, year after year, decade after decade, the consequence of unbelief. And so now that new generation has come to the promised land. And now this new generation is going to respond differently than their fathers did. They're going to trust in God. They too will send in spies, two of them, who will go into Jericho. But this time they will respond in belief and in trust. And so God gives them a rather peculiar series of commands here he tells them in order to conquer Jericho on their way into the land of Canaan into the promised land they're to march around the city for six days and on the seventh day they were instructed as they marched for the priest to blow trumpets God told them if they did this the walls of Jericho would fall and their enemies would be conquered now consider how different the response of God's people here in the book of Joshua is to the response of God's people in the book of Exodus. 
Consider how differently the Hebrews respond there on the shores of the Red Sea and there outside the walls of Jericho. Outside or on the shores of the Red Sea, you have people questioning God. You have people doubting God. You have people responding in unbelief. And yet, what do we see happen here? When we see God telling his people to march around a city and that the walls would fall and they don't question God. They don't respond in unbelief to God. No, they obey God and do exactly what he said immediately. <laughs> I find it interesting that people didn't say, well, well, can't we just go in and conquer them? <laughs> and can't we just knock down the city walls ourselves? And they didn't come up with their own game plan. No, they trusted in the plan that God put before them. Why? They were walking by faith and not by sight. And we find in Joshua that they weren't the only ones who were placing their trust in God because before they go walk around that city and before the walls fall, Joshua had sent two spies into the city. And these spies come to the house of Rahab, who the scripture tells us clearly was a harlot. She was a prostitute. This was a woman who made her living off of a, uh, an unfaithful, uh, a wicked profession. And yet, what happens in this encounter? She encounters these spies. She very readily says, I, I've heard of your God, and I've heard of what your God has done, and I've heard how your God brought you through the Red Sea. And she goes on to say, we, we've all heard about this God. But she's ready to put her trust in this God. And it's not just the Hebrews here trusting God. We see a non-Hebrew with a very sinful past placing her trust in God. Why? Because she heard about the works of the Lord and she wanted to follow the one true God. I find it fascinating that Rahab's not just mentioned here in Hebrews 11. She's mentioned as well in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 where we read Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. We know Boaz is the one that God used to redeem Ruth. The one that God used to bring hope back to the life of Naomi. The one that God used to father Obed, who was the grandfather of King David. Boaz's mother was Rahab. Rahab put her trust in God and God delivered her. And God used her and her legacy in the life that led to the life that led to the life that led. Ultimately down the line to the birth of our Lord Jesus. It's a fascinating picture of what can happen when one places their trust in God. And a reminder to us that God delivers people who trust in Him. But in order to be delivered by God, Rahab and the Hebrews had to trust in Him. They had to trust that God would be faithful to do what He said He would do. What we see in Hebrews 11, verse 6, and without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In order to be delivered, we must trust that God is who he said he is. And we must believe that God will do what he said he would do. There is no salvation without this trust. That's why we read the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 7, saying this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. 
Do you hear what Jeremiah is saying there? Hey, in this time of famine, this time of drought, the blessed man does not fear. He trusts in the Lord. I think that's a timely reminder for us today. As we find ourselves in a time of drought, a time of famine, a time of worry, anxiety, a time when we're unsure of what's going to happen, we too are called to trust in the Lord. So friend, do you believe God? Do you believe He is who He says He is? Do you believe He'll do what He said He would do? Are you trusting in the Lord to deliver you today? Are you living by faith in the midst of the crisis that we find ourselves in this day in? God delivers people who trust in Him. And then we see, point three, that God delivers people who obey His commands. Verse 31 here, we're... We're reminded again about the faith of Rahab. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven thirty one, by faith Rahab, the prostitute, he's reminding us of her sinful past, and yet he's recognizing her faith from what she abandoned this past and placed her trust in God. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What set Rahab and her family apart from the rest of Jericho. It was her faith. It was her trust. It was her obedience. Every indication here is that she turned from her life of sin and she placed her trust in the one true God and she lived in obedience to Him. In fact, immediately as she met the people of God, she responded to the Word of God and she trusted in God. She hid these spies. She, she didn't give them over to the leaders of her city. She trusted in them. And God delivered her and God saved her. What was it that set the Hebrews who entered into the promised land apart from the Hebrews who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? It was their obedience. This is what the writer of Hebrews calls our attention to in Hebrews chapter 4, where he says, don't be like the Hebrews who failed to trust in God, who disobeyed God, and as a result, they were not allowed to enter into God's land and enter into God's rest. This was because of their disobedience. Rather, the writer says, be like the Hebrews who trusted in God and who ultimately entered into His rest, the ones who believed His word and saw the walls of Jericho fall. We are called to turn from sin and to trust in God and to obey His commands. But we are also warned here in Hebrews 11 of what happens when we do not turn from our sin, we do not trust in God, and we do not obey His commands. Verse 29, the Hebrews at the shores of the Red Sea, they turn from their sin, they place their trust in God, and God delivers them. But what happens immediately after this? They're pursued by the Egyptians. This wicked people who would not trust in the one true God, who had seen the miracles at the hand of the one true God, and yet they refused to turn from their pagan and their false gods. And in their hatred, in their disobedience, they pursue the people of God. And what does God do to these people who will not turn from their sin? He destroys them. The very waters that were salvation for those who would trust in Him were the waters that would come and be destruction for those who would not trust in Him. Those who would not turn from their sin. We see in the following verses, verses 30 and 31, 
Forty years later, the Hebrews who were there outside the city of Jericho, they trust in God. They march around the city of Jericho and God delivers that city to them, delivers them, brings them in to the land of promise. The walls fall down. And we see that Rahab trusts in God, but the indication from the text is that the rest of the city did not. The likelihood is that they too had heard just like Rahab had of the one true God and of what God had done for His people, and yet they refused. In fact, the Scripture tells us here, they were disobedient. And as a result of their disobedience, because they would not turn from their sin, they would not trust in God, they would not obey His word, this resulted in their destruction. So we have in front of us this morning, call, a consequence, and a choice. The call for every one of us is to turn from our sin. This is the call of the gospel. Jesus says, if any man will follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. What does that mean? It means we need to turn away from our sin. The scripture says we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and if we will confess Christ as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But in order to experience this salvation, In order to experience this deliverance, we must turn from our sin. There is no salvation without repentance. There is no deliverance if we persist in our sin. So the call for us is to turn from our sin, to place our trust in the one true God, and to live a life in obedience to His commands. And we no more like the woman caught in adultery are called to go and live a perfect life, but we are called to walk away from our sin and to trust in a perfect Christ. And as we trust in a perfect Christ, we learn what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. This is the call we are given. But we're also given a reminder of a consequence. A consequence of judgment that happens when we refuse to turn from our sin. When we refuse to trust in God, when we refuse to live in obedience to His commands, and that consequence, friends, is dire. We see here a picture of the Egyptians being destroyed by the Red Sea. We see here a picture of the walls of the city of Jericho falling on those who were disobedient. We see in the Scripture a picture of the destruction that is to come on those who will not repent and will not trust in Christ. We see a reminder of this consequence of our disobedience and our decision not to trust. And yet we also see a choice. The choice that the Hebrews had at the shores of the Red Sea. The choice that the Hebrews had outside the city of Jericho. The choice that Rahab had as she heard about the Creator, the Sovereign God, and as she encountered the people of God. We too have a choice today. Will we turn from our sin? Will we trust in God? Will we live in obedience to His command? My prayer for us, friends, is that on this day we would do those things. And my prayer today is that we would be like those in Hebrews 11. That our lives and our legacies would be marked and be more familiar with the life and the legacy of the Edwards family than the Jukes family. 
that our life and legacy would be marked as people who trusted in God, who obeyed his word, who turned from our sin and walked by faith and not by sight. And that is my prayer. And that's what I want to pray for us now. Father God, I do pray and ask that you would help us, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit this morning to turn from sin. Lord, each of us has struggles. Each of us is very aware, even as we consider what it means to turn from sin, of the sin that is in our life. Lord, I pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to turn from that sin and to place our trust in you, to believe your word, to trust your word, especially in a day and in a time when when so many might be struggling with trust, might be worried, might see that you have stripped bare the self-sufficiency that we all have lived according to. And now we're at a moment where we have to decide, will we trust in you or not? And Lord, help us as we turn from our sin, as we trust in you. Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight, to walk in obedience to your word. Help us to be a people, Lord, that when we read your word, we do what it says. Lord, not a people who are trying to model a life of perfection, but a people who are walking in step with a perfect Savior, perfect Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.